0: Hey what's going on guys today on drugs and stuff first cycle should it be a cut or should it be a bulk? We have a guy trying to figure out why does he feel better on test probe versus longer acting esters. Are there any problems or benefits to taking a shallow shot that's like just barely into the muscle? What about combining DECA and NPP? Good mornings with a safety squat bar. What do we think? Plus a bunch more. If you guys are new to our content, let me encourage you to subscribe and hit the bell. We have several bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week. Lots of education from IPB pros, experienced coaches, and educators in our industry. We're all here to have a good time and try to keep you safer in the process while you reach your goals all right guys let's get to the program What's going on, guys? We'll come back to drugs and stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by you guys, the people at Patreon. Thank you very much for your support. We're also brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for high quality third party tested supplements from a company that you can trust. We're brought to you by Strom Sports Nutrition out of the UK. By the way, we're setting up a contest for Strom and we're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for great deals that change week to week. So check them out if you're in Canada. Dave, We've got a topic today. Uh, We are going to talk about uh, when to run your first cycle in a bulk or in a cut. Plus, of course, we've got all your listener questions. And guys, I have to warn you, Dave's like not really in a mood to do anything today. He's really being uh, abrasive. He's being difficult. In fact, somebody mentioned last week, they're like, I like the get off my lawn attitude that Dave has. <laughs> 're off my land. So here's the thing, though. Um, some people take you serious. Some people think that you're like you're not joking around. They're like, "Why is that guy so mad all the time?" I've literally had people comment that they don't understand I,
1: your, right, your beautiful British humor. Right. What you need to understand, great people of drugs and stuff, watching us and listening us is that I am actually very happy, very content, very nice, easygoing guy, but I have to work with that. Finger point right. Hang on. That. (laughs) I have to work with that.
0: I'm a pleasure, Dave. I'm a pleasure to work with.
1: And that is enough to send anybody suicidal. (laughs) I literally cry on a Tuesday morning knowing I've got the podcast today. Well, but he, but he does
0: it for you guys. He does it for you. Let's get into our topic because we also have a bunch of listener questions too. So <clears throat> I, I hear this all the time. You know, guys and people who come to work with me and they say, hey, you know, I've never run gear before and I really want to. Uh, you know, they ask that. Here's two situations. One is they need to lose a good deal of body fat. Right. And they say, well, can I run gear? for while, while i'm dieting and then the other scenario is they just say hey i just want to run gear where should i put it in a bulk or in a cut so what are your thoughts to start with this where would be the best place if you're going to run a first cycle would you want to do it in a surplus or would you want to do it in a cut or does that even matter
1: i don't suppose it really matters too much but i would tend to go more through a bulk phase, growth phase, whatever you want to call it, phase. Um, because as a natural, your muscle preservation is fairly decent on where you currently are. So you don't really need anabolics to preserve muscle mass when you're dieting unless you're going to do something very, very extreme. Um, you know, I mean, there's a whole plethora of naturals that get in better condition than pretty much anyone else does in the bodybuilding world. So it's definitely not a prerequisite to get lean is to take gear. In the slightest, and if you haven't done gear before, and you've got therefore no muscle that's been gear based in its development, you're not anywhere above where you would be naturally. And as a result, your muscle retention should be pretty decent anyway. So you don't need gear for that reason. Yeah, you're not. The the more
0: muscle you hold is what you're saying. The more muscle you hold, you're two. Let's say you get to two sixty. You know, holding onto that muscle while you're in a deficit is probably going to be harder.
1: Well, it's not just that. If you are carrying muscle that's, that's being developed through the use of anabolics, it's above your natural baseline, and it can take a long time for that to establish as established muscle. And obviously, your body will naturally sacrifice muscle because it doesn't need it at a great level. So wherever you've achieved naturally, you're generally going to hold on to that muscle in a cup with no risk to it. So why waste the effect of anabolics when you're going to restrict your calorie intake? I yeah. would much rather see someone diet clean, get to the condition they want to be, and then rebound once the natural rebound starts to stall, then drop in the cycle and continue the progression through the cycle and get get a great rebound out of it. I just find it a waste of drugs to take them on your court if it's your first cycle.
0: I 100% agree. You know, what if you run. This big long, because here's the thing is that and it, it, it can you run the same cycle twice and still get good results? Absolutely. But I'll tell you, man, over time, the more gear you run, the less you really, the less you really get out of it. To me, you know, like after a while, 500 milligrams of test isn't going to do what it had done years in the past. I, I think you are right on the nail there that I would personally want to use that cycle to grow. Because at the end of the day, Series are there to do two things, you know, retain muscle and grow muscle, right? Those are our main two things we're going to get out of it. There's no question in my mind I would want to do that. Exactly how you said it, actually, be in a lean position where you're in a good spot to start an off season, and then from there push up. So, if I have that guy come to me and he's overweight and he needs to lose fat before we can really push the food up, then my thought would be, hey, let's diet down first. You know, get you into a, we don't have to necessarily go to contest shape, but let's get you into a place where we have room to add a little more fat back in, which is going to happen when you go in a surplus to some extent. And then, and then let's push upward from there and add the gear as just like you said, man, hundred percent as you stall out.
1: Excuse me.
0: That'd be my thought as well. So I thought that'd be a good one to answer. Mainly for obviously newer guys, you know what I mean, because we do get a lot of newer people that that stumble upon us through YouTube or you know through the podcast app and uh, you know iTunes or whatever else. So I thought that'd be a great place to start. We do have a bunch of listener questions though. Um, and I'm just gonna start up from the top here. Where are we at here, Dave? What do we got? By the way, guys, if you want to take part in the next show, then comment below. We'll take your questions then. Plus, all comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. And we have a bunch of questions in the live stream here, so we can take those as well. Um, So Austin says, question for you guys. I pin every day. uh, But when I use Test Probe over Test Sip, I feel better. Libido is higher and uh, over... And higher in over-cognitive function is better. Uh, I think he means overall cognitive function is better. Even when estrogen is dialed in on both, uh, I still feel better on test probe. Why is that? Thanks for all the videos.
1: Well, we'd need to know what he was dosing each out to be certain because there's a strong chance he's running a completely different test level when he's running the prop to the nth because of mm. the... Esther weight and the half-life calculation on it all.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> that could make sense.
1: Well, test test nth is going to be compounding over the period of its half-life. So every time you do another test nth injection within the half-life from the first injection, you are layering that on top of what is remaining from the previous. So for argument's sake, let's make it really, really nice and simple and say test nth has a half-life of nine days. It's not technically correct, but it makes the math simple for the example. And yeah. you take a hundred, you take a hundred on day one, you take a hundred on three days later, and you take another hundred three days later, and another hundred three days later. So in a nine-day period, you've actually taken four hundred milligrams. Hmm. When you take your second injection, your initial rejection will have reduced by one-third. When you take your Third injection, your initial injection will be reduced by one sixth and your second injection will reduce by one third. So all those factors layer on top of each other. It's building. Yeah, so you've got thirty-three meg of the first shot left, sixty six meg of the second shot left, and a hundred meg of the third shot. So effectively you're you're two hundred meg. Yeah. And then by the time you take your third shot, obviously your first shot's dissipated. Fourth shot, sorry, third shot, the first shot's dissipated in its half-life, so there's fifty meg left of that. So that, that's your total volume of drugs circulating in your plasma then is much greater than the actual injection you're taking each time. Yeah. But propanate obviously has a shorter half-life, so it's two hours. So if you did the same injection frequency, I know this isn't every day, but if you did the same injection frequency, by the time you got to your second shot, half the first shot's already gone.
0: Yeah. And by
1: the time you got to your third shot, all of the first shot's already gone. Of the vast majority of it. So you're not going to sustain as much of an elevated level. Sure. Um, So it depends, and that's on equal dosing. So it depends on what he does dose-wise and if he's calculated for the different um, layering due to the half-life of the drugs. Um, Also, he says when estrogen is both in control, so I presume he's done that from a point of view of testing. If he hasn't and he's just saying, well, I'm running X amount of aromasin, yeah, His hormone levels could be in two very completely different places.
0: Oh, that is so true. And just because so, you don't feel a side effect doesn't mean that estrogen is not out of range, you know?
1: No. So the bottom line is that the only way to be comparative with the two is to do his bloods and see where he sits on both. But it will be hormone fluctuations that are different.
0: That makes sense. Level,
1: levels will be different because of the layering from the half-life.
0: All right. What's this one? Um, awesome episode, guys. Is it possible? If it is possible, please explain aspirating while injecting and shallow intramuscular with one half inch insulin pins to avoid PIP. Is it possible?
1: Aspiration has nothing to do with PIP, and aspiration is no longer done medically either, so nobody aspirates anymore, is the bottom line.
0: I I think he's, yeah, two questions is the way he's trying to, but there's like no periods, so.
1: The, the aspiration aspect um, was traditionally to see if you were in a vein or not and if you drew blood. But generally speaking, most intramuscular injections are done without aspiration now, both medically and non-medically. Uh, and there tends to be more muscle trauma when you try and aspirate because the needle's in there and you're wiggling the bloody thing around <laughs> trying to draw back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's been pretty much sacked. But aspiration has no link to it. Um, okay. Shallow IM is more likely to create a swelling. Yeah. If, I, if, uh, yeah.
0: If,
1: if the oil is close to the surface, it's more likely to cre- create a swelling, which obviously can result in pain. The deeper, generally speaking, the better it is tolerated. But yep. pip, PIP can come from... Stability of compound, he, uh, THB being a particular one that's nasty for pit because it does tend to crystalline in solution a little bit. Yeah. Or
0: like probe, another.
1: Yeah. Hormone concentration is another factor, particularly with testosterone. So like Test props uh, and Test Base, they generally are very, very painful because one, you've got a high concentration of hormone because you've got low ester weight. Um, and as a result, your body can react to there amount of uh, benzo alcohol in there the amount of benzobenzoate in there can also be an irritant and cause pip as can the overall dose of hormone you're putting in in one shot yeah um and then you also have the volume of oil which if if put into a tight muscle or a close-knit muscle uh is going to be much much more painful than not so for argument's sake you put half a million in your quad it's probably going to be a little bit sore than putting half a mill in your glute because the quad is a slightly tighter muscle. Yeah. You then move that shot to your calf and the pain will be much, much greater because the calf muscle is much, much denser. Yeah. So when the oil's in there and it forces space between the fiber, it causes inflammation and everything's under tension because that muscle is so dense. There's no space in there for the oil to sit. Sure. So the oil has to force the fibers apart in order to exist within the muscle. Hmm. The, the more relaxed the muscle, the less dense, and as a result, the oil is generally accepted much easier. But again, volume yeah. plays a role in that as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, I remember back in the day, we used to use 1.5-inch uh, needles. And nowadays, everybody has moved to either a 1-inch needle or they're using, even like he mentioned, half-inch insulin pins to do their shots, do you remember Dave, like everybody used the 1.5s back in the day? Beans. Yeah, it, what's a green? What's the gauge on that? Yep, yeah, that's oh. a needle. Yep. We're demonetized, yeah, these guys.
1: A, a green is a twenty one.
0: Yeah, that's a big that's a big old jab.
1: But you're a big old guy,
0: so there's that. You got guys. You got to understand the size of Dave. That's still nothing. It's like a little pin, little tiny.
1: No, I mean, well, it used to be. It used to be greens to draw up, and the greens or long blues to inject. So either twenty-one or twenty-three gauge to inject. Yeah, and I don't. At the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man, um, <laughs>
0: what was that?
1: <laughs> that was my grumpy old man. Yay. Um at the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man, I I think the vast majority of people that use Half-Inch or Slimpin are basically a bunch of fannies. Whoa!
0: Whoa! I'll tell you what, Dave. I, uh...
1: Yeah, because you use them, I know.
0: I agree that well, here's the thing too. If you're using an insulin pin, you're you're not taking a lot of gear. There is that. There has been the movement toward taking less and taking it more frequently. So when I started, everybody did two shots a week. And nowadays everybody is, is completely on board with every day or every other day shots, even with long esters. They've they've realized that you can better control side effects by uh, you know, higher frequency of injection. And with that, they're like, hey, I can fit it along to a 1CC insulin syringe. So why not go yeah, that you, route? You, you, know?
1: you, can, you, you can potentially reduce the impact of side effects because you reduce the anabolic peaks, you reduce the hormone peaks, but you also stabilize your bloodstream so you increase clearance rate, which means you've actually got mm-hmm. less gear active in your system. Mm-hmm. So actually you're on half the fucking cycle you thought you were.
0: You think it's 50% that far?
1: Uh, terminal half-life is about 50% of, of in vitro. Yeah. 50%. Uh,
0: if you go to every, if you go to everyday injections, it, it, it speeds up that by
1: 50%. If you get to the point where you have complete plasma stability, mm mm-hmm. Then you, in theory, and from what I've seen to a degree in practice, will then start operating on a terminal half life. The terminal half life of test nth is 4.5 days. Okay. Now, strangely, Germany, when when you speak to Germans about their cycles, they run their half lives all on their terminals.
0: I remember you mentioning that, and we had some comments of people saying, Yeah, yeah totally. My friends in, in Europe do that. Yeah. I that was interesting. Uh,
1: where as uh, you find UK and US run on the traditional apps that we're all experienced to so it's this frequent injection there's there's this everyone th- the the problem is with bodybuilding in particular the drug element of bodybuilding is they follow a trend with no real understanding of why they're doing it And no objective look at why they're doing it. So someone will suggest something, daily injections. Why? Oh, it lowers side effects. Okay. But what else? No one actually then starts going, okay, but what's the possible downside of that? Well, straight away, you're doubling or tripling the risk of infection because you're injecting much more frequently. So you're breaking that natural defense barrier, which is the skin. That increases the risk of infection massively. doesn't mean you're going to get one. But you are exposing yourself to much more risk. That's true. The second thing is you have you have the risk of terminal half life kicking in, which means that your five hundred milligram cycle effectively becomes a two fifty three hundred milligram cycle. Um, you're not. The problem is you're not getting. So you're getting the benefit of an up, well. So let's say you're getting a negative of an uprated clearance. So the hormones not as active in your body, but you're still getting all the stress factors and elements of negativity that comes with a 500 milligram cycle. Hmm. So it's not like the negative side drops at 300 milligrams because you're still getting that initial loading when you take the drug. Hmm. So there's there's that side of things. Um, Sight scarring, yes. So you know insulin pins cause much less muscle trauma when they go in, but they also create much greater pressure of oil when you inject the oil.
0: Sure, because it's such a small hole that you're the the high speed. You have to go slow still. You have to go real Very slow slower. with that.
1: Slower, much slower than you would with a border gauge.
0: Yeah, yeah, that um, is true. Then,
1: then there's the management of the fact that if you are running anything one gram or above, that's a lot of injections. Yeah, because of just you're not going to be able to put mills and mills in. You know, I mean. Most people will tolerate two, two and a half mil in a single shot. You ain't doing that with an insulin pin, are you?
0: Yeah. So he's got a
1: mil at most.
0: His concern was he was saying to avoid the, the pain post pain and the post injection pain. So um I feel like the more experienced you are, the less post injection pain you get, your muscle gets used to it. Assuming that you've got clean gear and you're not using something that's super caustic, (coughs) and if I was, when when I have used something that was painful, when I have used something that is painful, I'll I've tended to use something else that's less painful to mix it with. So, say if there was a a DHB, maybe it would be with a a test E that I had. You know what I'm saying? And I mix that up real thoroughly so that I'm, I'm not getting just that straight DHB. And I found that to be really helpful. Heck, man. I remember getting some probe that was just so painful back before I knew where to get good stuff. And I, it was the worst probe ever, but then I bought like some sterile oil and then I drop like a half CC of each, mix it up and then take that shot. And that reduced the pain greatly too. Those things, I think. Yeah. It, I used yeah, to
1: I, use Decker as a diluent.
0: Yeah, there you go. There's there's that. Mm-hmm. If you can lower the viscosity of the oil, I would take like the vial and actually run it under warm water and then from there, make sure the cap's completely dried off because any water on the, on the, on the rubber stopper, it's not sterile. So if you push a syringe through that, that's going to add bacteria to the vial. But that's a, a route of lowering the viscosity, and I think that that's helped too. Another factor is, let's say you do a glute shot. I, if you do it right before bed... And then you just sit there, lay there, sleep on it. It just kind of sits there and doesn't move around as much. I found that's more painful than if I were to take it in the beginning of the day and then walk around through the day and get that oil kind of moved around and worked in.
1: Well, the other thing is sighting before you train a body part, things like that will all help. But there is also, uh, and bar my initial comment, there are also certain things that come with injecting oils into your muscle, and one of those things is the potential of discomfort. Yeah. And if you don't like that, then don't fucking inject them.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. If it's that bad. Yeah. You know, you but will speed a, up the breakdown.
1: A... Scott Scott, yeah, Scott did
0: there, a Scott looked at this. We talked about it on Muscle Minds one time. If you do like a shoulder injection and then you train shoulders that that will then spread and release faster than if you had not trained shoulders. So it might be a good idea, you know, to keep that drug in your system. Maybe not train that body part, if that you know, if that was the goal, is to get the levels built up. Believe it or not, I found that yeah, fascinating. But if, you, if
1: if you're doing daily shots, you're going to be doing daily sights, You're going to you're you're going to have no choice but to train those body parts because you're going to run out of fucking places to put the shots in.
0: Well, I, I wasn't even talking daily shots. I'm just. I'm talking in general, you know.
1: Like, I I don't see much need for any more than two to three shots per week.
0: Of a long-acting drug?
1: Yeah. I yeah. don't see, obviously, a fast-acting ester is a different scenario because the ester denotes the, the injection frequency, but I don't see any benefit to going any longer than that particularly. particular. Yeah. When you balance it all up all for all for but you are injecting, there's going to be pain. Deal with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. All right, let's see what else we have here. Ooh, we're not supposed to say the R word anymore. It's not socially correct. Um, Is it totally, we'll say, dumb to use DECA and NPP at the same time? If not, why would you do this? If it is dumb, why would you not do this? We can't see the R right. word because it offends Dave.
1: So it is not montarded to run both esters together, and I have done it. Um, strangely, I actually found it was greater than the sum of its parts. Really? But I don't understand why. So, because this shouldn't be, but it was. Now, the only thing that I can think of is because of the nature of the esters and the nature of the the lack of ester weight in in the propionate is that you are creating a greater single hormone peak that pushes the anabolic levels beyond what you'd get from just the slow-acting ester on its own. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I've done both together and found it actually – Worked well, um, better than I expected, and better than the total mig had been. in. I mean, the thing is, there's so many variables. So, you know, training could have been different, diet may sure. not have been quite as it was being, and everything else that plays into it. But on the surface of it, the combination of the two together was a positive. You like it? I, I can't think of a negative. Uh, uh, the only thing you have to be wary of is just your total volume. Of anabolics that you're taking, as in your total dosing. But other than that, I can't, I can't say there's anything that's particularly wrong about it. Because if you took, for argument's sake, five hundred megadeca, and then you said, "Oh, I'm going to take three hundred megadeca and X amount of MPP instead," yeah, you know, you're still going to be there at their ball bars with the same amount of total drug in your sure. system. So it's not like you're you're doing anything dodgy in that side of thing. Yeah, I I think
0: there's something too. like, I mean, when you use a long acting drug like DACA or we'll say EQ, you know, obviously it's working from the time you start taking it. Right. Like it's not like you have to wait five weeks before it, quote, kicks in. It it is working. It's not completely built up yet, but there is going to be a positive benefit from it. But that said, if you couple that with a fast acting compound during that, quote unquote, kick in phase, build up phase, I mean, it's gonna you are gonna get built up faster, right?
1: I would have thought so. Yeah, I would have thought so. Um, um, you are gonna. I mean, the thing is, even with like, let's take an anthate, for for example, 72 hours, you are gonna have a peak plasma level from that anthate injection. Yeah, you know, and and that's it. Your levels will have peaked in your bloodstream. Um, if you take a fast acting on top of that, then you are gonna get a further peak. So you'll feel it more. There's no doubt you'll feel it more. Yeah. um, Because you're having a greater peak. What you've got to understand with the way anabolics work is when they come in, they go up and then they start to drop back off again. As you do frequent injections, you get these repetitive peaks that eventually will start to even out into more of a flat line. Yeah. The height of the peak can have an impact on your progression. So this is why orals as a single-use application are actually more efficient at building muscle than splitting the dose because you get a greater single peak of that anabolic in your system. So when you have a flat line or a very stable baseline of a slow-acting, like a decanate or, or whatever, decanoate, so to say, uh, and then you layer a propinate on top, you're going to have these high peaks but with this elevated baseline as well. And I think it's the combination of that that creates greater animalism.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like the sounds of that, Dave. All right, let's see if we have time for one more here. Um, What do we got here? Let's take this one from Alfonso. He's got a training question. He says, great show, guys. Any thoughts on good morning exercises using a safety squat bar as opposed to a traditional straight bar? Do you guys consider it a glute ham exercise or more of a low back exercise? Rep range 12 to 15 to avoid injury? For me personally, oh, good morning is going to be all I, low back.
1: I read that completely wrong. Yeah? Yeah, so I what I wrote, any thoughts on a good... Morning exercise using a safety bar. I, yeah,
0: like, you know, let's do some exercises in the morning, Dave.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I feel like for me, at least, good mornings are going to be a lot of lumbar. That's just the way my body reacts to them. But I've also been notorious for not getting great glute activation. So maybe somebody else I, is going to get a lot of glute out of it, but not me. A lot of low back.
1: I I think that the, the issue with a good morning movement is is very much on how you perform the movement. Um in order to throw load into the glutes and the hamstrings, you need to make sure that, that lower back is contracted and it remains contracted and there is no flexation in it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: If if the lower back doesn't flex, it can't load. Okay. If I do that with a bicep, I can't load that bicep. Okay. It's not gonna pump, it's not doing anything. But if I move it just even just two or three inch Straight away I'm already starting to feel pain in my bicep. hmm And the pump's developing.
0: But when that's you the move, same with your lower back. But aren't I moving? No. Because no? you
1: hinge at the hip, you don't hinge at the lower back. So it's that's get... off. Okay. If you literally sit upright, arch your up your chest as high as you can, cramp your lower back. Mm-hmm. So your lower back is as contracted as it can be.
0: Yeah, and, and it's just getting like not- isometrically burning now.
1: Yeah, but and if you <laughs> do not move from that contracted position, you cannot exercise the lower back. Huh. You can only transfer the load into the glutes and the hamstrings.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. But I, I have found that if I used my um, – so he's at a safety squat bar. I have used my safety squat bar, which is a transformer bar, and with the transformer bar you can change so you know safety squat bar goes out and then a lot of times comes down and then the plates load lower you can change where those are loaded and they actually have a good morning position where it's like all the way back and when i do that it sits the weight back further and i can get more glute out of it but for me it's just not a a great one
1: is it is it a decepticon or is it um and also bought your
0: bar. Definitely, I roll with the Decepticons. Shout out to my boys.
1: Boo! Boo! <laughs> Boo. Bumblebee for life.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. Do you. How about you? Are you a good morning guy?
1: I. I have done good mornings. There wasn't something. I. I effectively the way I do a lift Stiff deadlift is a good morning. Um. It's just the bar position changes because it's no longer loaded across my shoulders. Obviously, it's hanging down below me, so it's less direct load. But yeah, I've done done good mornings. Um, Used to do them on um, GHR quite a bit.
0: GHR? Oh, okay. I could see that. It's, It's a powerlifting kind of move to me. That's the way I see it.
1: Yeah, well, I say it's, that back position is crucial. It, it all depends on where that back position is and that whether you hinge on the hip or not, as to whether you're going to get glute and hamstring activation or you're going to get lower back activation.
0: Yeah. We just got a slew of people saying, Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, bros. I wonder if that was in relation to good mornings. I don't know. All right, let's wrap this thing up, Dave. Guys, go to Eval if you want to get your blood work done. You can meet cheery Dave. Yep, yep. There you go, Eval. I can't I wear
1: this looking in the camera. <laughs> boy, shit where I fucking can't do it.
0: Dave's got to retire one day. So you can get your blood work done by him. You'll get some great service. Plus, you'll get some really good suggestions. Two? Two years. Two, two years. years. And, uh, of course, go to our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for additional savings. Hit me up if you have any questions about their stuff. Strom Sports Nutrition. It looks like we might be doing a craziest gym outfit contest for Strom. And, of course, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. For another episode of Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McNally. We will see you soon.